Okay, guess who we have today? This is probably the first person I contacted after uh, watching the Character Strong Whole Child Virtual Conference. And of all the speakers, I knew that if we ever had the opportunity in Indiana to do a virtual summit, that uh, Dr. Akil Ross would be on the agenda. And, and I'm just so happy that when we reached out to you, you said yes today. Yeah, it's my honor. I really appreciate uh, being a part of this. Well, the, the reason uh, we wanted you here today is, is you have a, a powerful story, you have a powerful message, and you are the 2018 National Principal of the Year. So we, we know that uh, uh, you're a high achiever, you've accomplished a lot of things, you've impacted a lot of students, and, uh, and you're making a difference. And, and certainly uh, uh, the message is, is something that I think will resonate here in Indiana and to all the viewers that we have around the world today. So um, just a, a few housekeeping things uh, very quickly. Uh, we have this landing page so you can uh, uh, see the background and the bio. We'll have some resources linked there. At the bottom is a chance to offer any feedback and to get your professional growth plan points for uh, uh, continuing education. Uh, and you'll see some shareable quotes, uh, some things that are highlights of uh, today that uh, feel free to copy and paste into your uh, social media uh, or come up with your own, uh, as well as to share in your professional learning network there. So um, I'm gonna start with common language first, just like a character strong. And uh, Dr. Keel, when we use the word whole child, a lot of people use it, but for, for you, what does that mean? It's, it's thinking about who we are, right? The, um, we're, we're really teaching both. And it's, it's, we're teaching ourselves. And then through that, we're, we're teaching children. And so who, who are we? We're mind, we're body, and we're spirit. And whole child education addresses all three. And um, I, I'm sure someone could come up with other different parts, but they will fall under the mind, the body, and then and then lastly, the spirit. So when I looked at your website, uh, the first thing it said was that the newspaper uh, headlines, when it was announced that you were the National Teacher of the Year, read something like, he flunked third grade, and now he's the best high school principal in the nation. Uh, what's going on with that? All right, so I gotta be honest, you know, you, you receive one of the highest awards in your profession, and, um, so the next day I wake up and I'm going to be honest, I wanted some newspapers to pass out to family and friends. And uh, I was expecting principal Chapman high school receiving that, you know, normal title. And Tim Flack, a good, good reporter from the state newspaper uh, has flunked the third grade now he's the national principal of the year. And it is, it almost appeared like it happened the next day. Like he flunked the third grade in the next day. <laughs> And I said, you know, I was not happy about it. I said, you know, you're going to take my worst failure and you're going to attach it to one of my greatest achievements. And why remind people of that? You know, I, I, that was something I was embarrassed about. And, uh, you know, my wife uh, really gave me some clarity. She said, you know, it had nothing to do with you. This is not about, about you. She does statistics uh, for her school district. And one of the things that they find is that if you are a third grade, you look at a third grader who fails English and math, and you look at their chances of graduating on time with their peers. I mean, it, it's, it's uh, astronomical how, how uh, the disparities are there. You know, they're, they're uh, 
not going to graduate with their peers. Some, some say as much as 16 times not likely uh, uh, to go to college as their proficient reading uh, peers and how drastic that is. There was even rumors of how kids who don't uh, read on grade level in the third grade and how that could be correlated to the number of prisons that are being built in, in this country. And she said, you know, that title is about what was different between uh, these statistics that, that keep kids on a path of, of low achievement and then what you went through. And uh, that led me to actually thinking about it, you know, how did I overcome? Uh, how did things change for me? And uh, it led me to the story of Ms. Chavez. Ms. Chavez was my second third grade teacher, uh, Washington, D.C., Justice Elementary School. And uh, Ms. Chavez uh, was very different. You know, she, she was not the um, lovey-dovey type of teacher. Um, uh, it was rumored that she was kicked out of Marine Corps because she made the soldiers cry. So they put her in the third grade, and, and that's where I met her. And, um, but she had a very different way of teaching, where previous, you know, this is my second time in the third grade, so I, I think I know the ropes. And so you go chapter by chapter, chapter by chapter. And if you fail chapter one, you just move on to chapter two. And I, I just got accustomed to just moving along at pace. Ms. Chavez didn't operate that way. She makes you stay at the place that you had difficulty until you overcame that. And I think, you know, later on I became a coach and it was just exactly what I was doing on the football field. If I saw a player that had a, a difficulty with a certain drill, I would say the same thing Ms. Chavez said, do it again, do it again. And it's that moment when that kid looks at you, that player looks at you and says, thanks coach, I got it. That, that I say to that's that player, what Ms. Chavez said to me, I knew you could do it. Now move on to the next drill. What Ms. Chavez was teaching was not really the X's and O's or the, 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 you know, the curriculum in terms of concepts. What she was teaching was that inside of you is the ability to overcome things. I have very low self-esteem in my academic ability. I think a lot of kids in that situation have very low opinion of their academic ability. And she recognized that, you know, what they first need to learn, what the kid first needs to learn, is that if he believes in himself and tries and applies himself, he can overcome that. That was my second year in the third grade. Straight F's on all measures. After Miss Showers, by the sixth grade, I won two citywide essay contests. That's the power of an educator. That's the power of a teacher. They can transform you. And that's what she did for me. Um, so that's the basis of my work since then. There, there always is a story of a great teacher or many <laughs> educators uh, behind, uh, it seems like everyone that uh, finds success in life. And so maybe talk about some of your other experiences as a student, as a, a, a child, uh, the environment you grew up in, uh, how you got from uh, the DC area to uh, South Carolina. Yeah, so, um, you know, I grew up in, in, in Washington, DC during times when, um, as, as we talk about opioid epidemics today, we were talking about the, the crack cocaine epidemic of that day. And um, 
for a lot of people you grow up with, you, you know, there's this quote, you can only be what you see. And, and, and what you see around you are these narratives of what, especially African-American males are going to be to be successful. I didn't see a lot of this except, you know, Cosby Show came out and that was really big. It changed, you know, a lot of paradigms. But for what you saw in your neighborhood, there were like three accepted uh, roles. You could be the the rapper, you know, the entertainer kind. You could be the the athlete. And then the third one was the, was the hustler. It was the, the person who could make money from the streets. It didn't have to be legal or but, but these these three identities uh, sat there. And um, again, it was another teacher um, towards middle school who started just exposing us to different, her name was uh, Patty Spady, and she exposed us to different alternatives. For me, it was an astronaut and a pilot. Um, actually, uh, she got me involved in what was called the Silver Air Patrol. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but... Sure. Uh, uh, we're flying planes on Saturdays or in planes. Uh, they, they, they would let us steer it a little bit. Uh, but just exposing kids to different things um, early and saying that you can actually be that and given a path. Uh, growing up in a single parent household, I didn't see, you know, people talked about college, but um, when, when you know that you don't have a lot of disposable income, I mean, you, re- you realize that then, and you don't give that child a path, a financial pathway. I mean, there are upper middle class families worried about how to pay for college. So, so what's going on in the mind of someone who knows that you know they're they're living in poverty? Uh, how they're going to get there? And so, um, for for me, I thought that athletics was was going to be that ticket. Um, some people play uh, athletics for fun, for health. Uh, for me, it was a way for paying for college. And um, I, I can remember as a 10th grader, someone said, you're going to be a Division One college athlete. You know, I, I didn't know anything about all of that. Uh, first in my family to go, so we didn't have a lot of experience with, you know, applying and, and all of this. Um, but it was really the athletic experience that actually afforded me the opportunity to go to do uh, to play football. Uh, which was was which was such a blessing, such an honor. Really enjoyed it. Um, but again, it fit it, it fit within those three themes of 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 what success was, and it it reiterated to me, yeah, the the only way out, so to speak, is 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 through these three roles, and and one of those roles will lead you, you know, in jail or or, or in the grave, and so. Um, the intellect, the the the, the professional uh, man. That was that was something that I, I, I really you know struggled with academically. Duke is hard, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know uh, how to how to overcome those those things. Um, I think w- was something I was really passionate about making sure that uh, the generation next. The, the next generation had had that, and so uh, I'm not gonna lie. I <laughs> I went to do thinking, you know, I could be an engineer or, or uh, I could design planes. I was very interested in, in flight, and uh, the classes there <laughs> were, were way above my head. So um, I had another teacher, uh, this is a professor, who came to me and said, "You need to go into education." 
and was not interested in education at all. She wanted me to do elementary school education. And, and she knew the way to me. She said, you like football? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you could coach football and teach. And get this now, right? My second job would be teaching, you know, but, but I could coach. And, uh, and so I was excited about that. And so uh, my first job actually came in the state of South Carolina at Eau Claire High School. Uh, where I was uh, afforded that opportunity to, to coach. When you coach football, you show up first uh, before the academic year starts. And so you start building relationships with kids before you see them in the classroom. And I can tell you this, the type of relationship and the bond that you have as a coach with a student, um, it's a very different one than you have when, with someone who's on your role as a student only. And for me, I wanted to um, I wanted to build that not just with with kids who were on the football team, but with all my students. So I think my mindset was, how do I know something about you? How do I know something about your your passions, your heart, what you're interested in? How can I help that? It may not be on my curriculum, um, and that's just been the base of my teaching. And so. Uh, after three years of teaching, yeah, I only taught three years. <laughs> I was asked to become the assistant principal. That's amazing. So <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I'm going to cut in here for a moment here, just because you're talking a lot about your passion and and how it's evolved over time. And it reminded me of something that you said uh, in the last conversation I heard you speak, and, and it was something like, "In the heart of every student." is the desire to be something great, to be self-fulfilled. And uh, so we're, you know, we want to take passion and kind of, I'm going to segue you a little bit to the no, heart. I want, no. I want you to continue on from no, the no. assistant principal to the principal, because I think right. that, that kind of leads to the hard part. So, so um, how do you motivate a student, right? How do you, I told you, U.S. history and <laughs> <laughs> And street law, uh, and my street law class was was one of those electives where no one signs up for. You just show up. And so how do you motivate these kids who are um, high minority, high poverty setting? And, you know, they want to learn about or, or they're, they're we're, we're tasked to do a, a, a lesson on Shades Rebellion. Now, how do you get through that? Right. And none of this fits, none of this lands, none of this is making any sense to them. They're bored out of their minds. And you go through this over and over again, and then finally you say, you know what, um, uh, maybe we, we, we talk about you a little bit. Maybe we, to motivate you, it's not about what I want from you, it's about what you need. And that's where that, that, that idea that comes from, that really true education it's about connecting to the person. We don't, we don't connect, we don't educate. And so what do you connect with? I think the hardest lesson to teach, but the most important lesson to teach every child is empathy. Like, how do I know how you feel? You know, I, I don't apologize for my religion, but I believe the greatest thing you can do for anybody is serve them. And to serve them, you must know them. And to know them, you have to connect with them. And that takes empathy. That's one of the greatest lessons that we should be teaching all of our students. And so to just be empathetic a little bit as a teacher to think, what do they need? And they need to know, you know, Shay's Rebellion or, or, or the, the formation of, uh, of this war and how, no, but 
They need to know how to survive in the context that they're in. What laws can actually help them to make a little better life for them. And so when you do that, you start to realize that, you know, every one of these children has a gift. They have a need. They have a, 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 a feeling to express that, to for, let it to come out. And there's not a space and place in schools for it to come out. You know, why do you think in the classroom there's, there's so many kids on the cell phone? When you go on the athletic field, you never see the pitcher in the middle of a pitch take out and tweet somebody, take a cell phone out and tweet someone. Because they're engaged in their passion. You watch the kid that's dancing. They're engaged in their passion. They're never disrupted. Or the, or, the, or the kid catching a, a football, throwing a football, or the, or, or the child is dancing or playing lacrosse. When they're engaged in their passion, there's a whole different uh, um, action from them. And sometimes we take them out of that passion. So that was my, my, my goal. I said, you know, I could engage more if, if, if I actually taught less and learned more about them. And so that's that whole notion of, you know, who are you? Just asking that one question, who are you? And, and for some students, it was like the first time we actually dealt with that because I believe your passion, your heart is the answer to that question, who are you? So Dr. Keel, I saw uh, doing a little research on you, I saw a little <laughs> video clip and it showed you setting up uh, your office out in the hallway. Yeah. So why did why'd you do that and, and what did you learn from that? All right. Uh, one reason is, is as a principal, you get a lot of emails. <laughs> <laughs> and people expect you to answer those like right away, right? And so and you, you, you want to try to nicely say you do know I'm a principal. I got you know, 1,400 students that, that, that I'm responsible for. Um, and so there's times you have to be, you know, responding to it. So I got tired of it and um, I took this um, little table and I just sit out in the hallway. We have this uh, beautiful part of our, our school where uh, there's an intersection where you can see the main halls. And I just sat right there at the, at the top of that and I would set up my desk, um, I had my laptop, uh, my cell phone, radio, notepads, and I would sit there and just do email in the hall. And kids would come up and talk, and teachers would talk to me. And they were, at first, like, what are you doing? Just just working here in my office. Like, you can work here? And it became a, a thing where um, a kid actually pulled up a chair, sat down, and said, let me tell you something about you know, and they would talk about everything from the cafeteria to teachers that do this and, um, and and, and people they don't like, and some would just kind of waste, you know, if you work in a school, you know, you have those wanderers that just, <laughs> they're supposed to be in class, but they always have a pass <laughs> somewhere else, you know? And so that became a stop. And um, it was a great access piece where the, the feedback was positive. And, and for me, I don't like to be in office. I don't like to be away from people. But Gary, and this is what's going to be hard to believe, and but... I could actually feel the pulse of the school during class changes. During I could I could actually feel, and I guess it's you know it may sound fake or anything, but for me it was real. I could feel the pulse. I I I, I knew when things were off, when they were on. 
um, you can actually feel the part. And really, you know, the school is, is yes, it's brick and mortar, but the people would make it alive. And uh, I was more connected to the pulse of the school by being in that hallway. I've, when the classes would change, you you could hear sounds down one hallway or this or the, the quiet and steel of the of the building. Um, you, you can actually feel the, the pulse of your building, of your school, of your people. And uh, so I loved it. I, I really loved it. Um, I couldn't do it every day because some conversations <laughs> you really need to have in your office, but uh the to have that type of um, access to the students and for them to have that access to me um, is something I really enjoy um, well that's the power of empathy that you, you really have brought it to life and uh, and you demonstrate it in a very authentic and uh, and genuine way so I want to go kind of go to that feeling the pulse thing and uh, so you, you've got I think you said uh, over a thousand students there, <clears throat> all running around. Uh, how, how did you know? How did you take that feeling of the pulse and uh, kind of create a, a, a direction for your school? So on the first day of uh, the school day, I tell the teachers, "This is going to be my classroom. I'm going to. Uh, it's not so much like setting the tone, but it is. It's I, I'm, I'm welcome the students uh, back. So we would all meet in our arena. Now this is." pre-social distance, physical distancing time. But um, we would meet in the arena and uh, we would do this um, collective thing called the heartbeat. I have 1,400 students, uh, 170 teachers. And uh, how do you make them all one? Uh, how, do we, how do we create one vision, one, one body for our school? And we do this thing called, called the heartbeat. It actually comes from football practice when we would tell kids that, uh, before stretching, we make a clap as one. Well, what we did is we would, they would clap twice. And I would say one heartbeat ready and they would, they would clap. And when you do it over and over, boom, 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 boom. You know, 1400 pairs of hands coming together makes a mighty hard percussion sound. And it's, it's powerful. Yeah, you feel the vibration, the sound of vibration moving, and it moves around the room, bounces off those walls, moves through you. You feel it. And then over and over, I just kept it going, boom, 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 boom. And just that rhythm that this student body is doing, connecting to their own internal heart, this just kind of rhythm is going through, and they're feeling it. And we said, this, we're coming alive. You are a part of something big. You are a part of, and, and, I, and I talk about, you know, for me, we all have these heart needs. And our number one heart need is, is to be a part of something, to be a part of a group. You know, you, we're social beings. I don't like saying social distancing because we're social beings and we all want to be a part of a group. And to let them know on that first day that you're a part of something big, you're part of a group, you're part of a family. We're all in this together. The feeling that you feel in your chest is what we all feel together. We made that explicitly known through this notion of the heartbeat. And so we would say, we might be a thousand different passions, but we're one heartbeat. And we are chaffed. And I said, ready, boom, boom. And that would be the final uh, heartbeat. And so we do that. Um, you know, and, and what's amazing is that graduation, when we do that last one, that's, that's very emotional because for four years, They've come together heartbeat, and this one lets them know that, you know, we may not be assembled together, but just feel your chest. And when you feel that sound, we're still there. 
So in a thousand heartbeats. A thousand passions. A thousand passions, one heartbeat. One heartbeat, that's right. There we go. So on that graduation day, you know, uh, before uh, the sign send off there, you get your highest GPA guy and you bring him up to the front of the room. And how's that go? So, so the we we took a, a different turn on um, the valedictorian. Um, valedictorian traditionally uh, is a person with the highest GPA, and um, this extended from a conversation I had with a student who was up for the. The valedictorian, perfect and everything, right? Over five point GPA and uh, missed the perfect on the uh, SAT by one question on a verbal, uh, but yet was was not in a good space emotionally, and did not get accepted to their number one choice. It was accepted to um, a lot of other schools, but not their number one choice. It was the first time that they had received failure in their life. And um, when I asked the question, who are you? Student didn't have an answer. Here's our valedictorian, Gary, is supposed to be <laughs> knowing everything, could do calculus derivatives in a snap. But, but when you ask, who are you? Um, doesn't have that, that answer. And so for me, I, I started to think about it, you know, what is a valedictorian? And I looked at it, the, uh, the the translation of valedictorian comes from the uh, Latin uh, valedicere, which means to bid farewell. You know, mm -hmm. my entire career, I thought it meant highest GPA, you know, <laughs> it means to bid farewell. And that the student that has the honor of, of, of saying the farewell address, of addressing this class, of, 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 of sending them off, saying goodbye, you know, we always gave to the person with the highest GPA, but maybe we could look at other criteria. You know, what if it was a student who had to overcome the most, who had the biggest, you know, the, the largest growth, uh, the student who 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 looked failure and adversity in, in the eye and, and, and through that was able to gain so much better understanding about life. To tell you that in ninth grade, I almost dropped out. I almost failed out. My family was going through this, but yet I kept on going. I kept on striving. I kept on surviving. And you too can do that. That my story is a testimony to the power, passion, and purpose for overcoming adversity. See, the, that valedictorian could have benefited from that story. And so we stopped moving it from the highest GPA to the best story. Um, who, can have, who could take that position to bid farewell, to give us a story that would motivate others, that would connect to others, and that would, would promote that notion that of the power of the heart. And so I believe that, um, you know, and, and I talk about it, we need to teach students to fail, and uh, fail as an acronym, F-A-I-L, which is face adversity in life. And so the person who speaks in that honor, um, they don't see I fail as a, as a negative. They see I fail as an affirmation that I can face adversity in life. There will be adversity. Today's time show us that. Right? Maybe we need to hear from those who know how to overcome it. 
Well, you've, you've given some just, we only have a few minutes left here. I'm going, <laughs> where is the time going here, Dr. Akil? You know, you've talked about student, student empowerment, uh, uh, just a little bit about faculty motivation. Uh, I know you have a ton on uh, vision, but uh, you kind of make it hard picking a val valedictorian when you give a, when you have a thousand passions out there to choose from, <laughs> you know. But uh, you know, bringing that all under one roof uh, um, uh, really brings that empathy to life. It's you know just a, an amazing story of of what you've done for uh, uh, your school for your students, for your faculty and that sort of thing. But, you know, as, as the guy in the front office, you gotta have some accountability. How do you, how do you put a measure to all these things you're talking about? Well, I, I believe that we have to measure ourselves like a parent would measure their child. You know, uh, ours are very short-term measures. How, how are you gonna do between uh, fall of this year and spring of this year, right? Right. But, but as a parent, when you hold that child mm -hmm. at, at delivery, you don't think, well, I wonder how this child's going to, their growth rate between fall of this year and spring of this. You're thinking long term. You, you have this long term metric. And so people would congratulate me for We had uh, a 94, 95% graduation rate. And, and it was, wow, this is great. Was, what parent at graduation is thinking that's the end? For my child, right? They, they have long term. For, I know parents, you know, when the child is born, they're already thinking about college scholarships. And so for us, what do you measure? You measure the same way a parent would. How are they doing after they leave your school? How are they feeling emotionally? Are they engaged in extracurricular activities? All of these things that don't show up on our accountability manual, maybe we should put them on there. So for us, we have what's called the preparation rate. It was a graduation rate with, as an index by the percentage of those students who received a diploma that were in a two-year institution, four-year institution, military, or they were in um, uh, work uh, within a, a cluster field from our school by October 15th of the following year. And if we knew that we could graduate at a high degree, and, but the amount of students who were prepared for life was at a low degree, then we weren't, we weren't satisfied. And so I'm happy to say that when we had a 96% graduation rate, 99% of those students qualified as college and career ready the next year. That's what I'm very proud of. Congratulations. That's uh, quite an accomplishment. I'm going to uh, ask you one last question before we close. To, yes, to our audience, we have... Uh, a good mix of health educators, physical educators, administrators. You obviously have come from uh, the administration side, but uh, in, in this day and age here with social emotional learning and, and mental health becoming even more important, um, what would you tell your uh, educators in the health and physical fields today? I would say that it's important more than ever that we learn from our students. There is a temptation as a professor to say that I am going to teach what I know to you, uh, but we're all in action research right now. And so however we engage with our students, whether it's through face-to-face uh, -face or hybrid or 100% remote, um, I think we need to do what Paulo Ferreira reminds us to, to do. And that is to humble ourselves to learn from our students that they have just as much to teach us as we have to teach them. And by doing that, 
that improves their humanity. It makes us more human. And I think that that builds that, that notion of, uh, of beauty and life, liberation and, and, and freedom for, for us all. I ended up every morning, I would say a pledge to my students. And that would end that we would have liberty and justice for all. <laughs> and I think that if uh, we do that, we learn their experiences, what are they going through, what do they need, have the empathy to connect to their hearts, then we're that much closer to providing liberty and justice for all. Man, very, very well said. Really appreciate <laughs> your time today. Uh, thank you so much. You're welcome in Indiana. Anytime you can come. All right. We, yes, indeed. We, yes. we will get to as many schools and districts as we can, and we'll just keep going around. So uh, hope, hope we can count on you soon. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Well, I want to thank everyone for uh, joining us today uh, for another session. Uh, as uh, mentioned up front, there'll be uh, resources that you can link, including a link to uh, Dr. Akil's website. His, he has a book out there on Amazon. So just a lot of good stuff going on uh, there. Uh, the shareable quotes are there. And if you're looking for a continuous learning a certificate, a, a PGP certificate, fill out the survey and that will be uh, emailed directly to you. So uh, Dr. Akil, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it.